song was played at my wedding. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Connie. Thanks for making me cry before I start the sermon. Oh, man. There's no warning on things like that, is there? No. And I knew she was going to play it, too. I heard it earlier. So, ah, trying to pull myself together here. I want to tell you a story. Um, you have to stop crying now. You're not helping me out there. Oh, what a sweet song. Okay. So every good story starts with Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, there was a grocer. It wasn't a time much different than now. He ran a little grocery store. He was an older man. He and his wife ran the grocery store. And they served a very common neighborhood. They weren't a wealthy family. They didn't have a lot to give, but they were kind and loving. And he was especially aware of the children in the neighborhood. And so he watched who came in the door. And he began to take note of a little boy, a little boy who would come in in the cold, dirty and and in scruffly clothes and with a hat on top of his head that had a hole in the top where the little fuzzy ball belonged. And the little boy would come into the store and he would walk past the county counter as though he didn't even see it and past all the donuts and cookies and go straight to the vegetable bins. And he would just stand there and look. And the first couple of times he was there, the grocer didn't have a chance. He was in the middle of doing something else, and he didn't have the chance to go over and do anything. But the third time the grocer noticed him, he went and stood behind the boy, and he said, young man, can I help you pick out some peas today? And the boy slid his hands down in his pockets, and he said, no, sir, I ain't got nothing to pay for him with. And the grocer said, well, maybe you have something you could trade. What's in those pockets of yours? And the little boy pulled out his hand, and he said, I haven't got very much, just this green marble. And the grocer took a look at it, picked it up and held it up to the light, looked through it and said, well, that's a mighty fine marble there, son, but I'm not much for green. And he handed it back to him and he said, any chance you might have red marble at home? I love red marbles. Had a bunch of them when I was little. And the boy said, well, I don't know. Maybe I got some at home. I could look. So the grocer packed up some peas and said, well, you just take these with you. Take them on home, and if you find that you've got a red marble, I'll trust you. We'll make a trade. You bring that marble back. So about a week later, the boy came in, and he had red marble. And he said, here, I brought you this red marble. And the grocer took it and said, why, thank you, son. And he held it up to the light, and he looked at it, and he said, hmm, seems to me I was mistaken. I don't care very much for red marbles. I think maybe the marble I had was blue. You think you might have a blue marble at home? And the boy said, well, I don't know. I got a bunch of them. So he handed him the marble back and said, well, I don't want your trip to be for nothing. Let's go over here and pick something out you can take home. So they went over and picked out some nice red tomatoes for him to take home, put them in a bag. And the little boy went home. This went on. And no matter what color marble... The little boy brought in. It wasn't quite the right one. Wasn't quite the right color. Wasn't blue or purple or wasn't one of those little ones, those little tiger eye ones that have stripes in them. Over the years, that little boy came back several times. And then one day he didn't come anymore. 
And as happens over time, the little grocer man got older, and time changed, and one day he passed away. And his wife had a beautiful ceremony for him, a lovely celebration of life. And all the people in town came, and one by one, they walked up to the front to pay their last respects. And she noticed a really handsome young man coming in with his wife and three beautiful children. And they came up to the front and put their hands on top of the grocer's cold, pale hands and stood there for a moment. And she could tell they were saying something, but she didn't know what it was. And when they were done, they passed on. And she waited until everyone had left, because that's what you do. And at the end, she came up and put her own hands over her husband's hands to say her final farewell. And she noticed that something felt out of place. And she ever so gently picked up his hands, and there underneath was a red marble. And she couldn't help but think somewhere in heaven, an angel got his wings that day. Sweet story, huh? Anybody need Kleenex? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we help in ways that we don't even know. This week has been a powerful week for me, and I'm kind of on fire about something. I'm on fire with the concept that unity as a movement can change the world. I'm really... Everything inside of me is excited about the possibility that this movement is not like every other movement. That what's happening at Unity, as simple as it might seem, is so very powerful that we can hardly imagine how big it is. That we can hardly see what it is we are doing and even more what we could do. So let's start out slow. Let's start out right here in our own house. For the last year, we've worked really hard to learn our mission statement. Do you know what it is? So it's a good year. If we've learned our mission statement, we've learned something, haven't we? Our mission is we are an inclusive spiritual community where we recognize and express our oneness with our creator and all creation. That's a huge mission. And we're doing it. The mission of our community is being done. This is what we do every day. This is what we do in our community. We have a vision statement. Did you know that? It's in that little green folder, that program that you received when you came in. It's on the back page, or on the inside back page. And I want to read it to you. It says, and remember, our vision is what we're striving for. It says, unity in the Rockies, grounded in meditation, prayer, and healing, celebrating the Christ spirit within all people, And with a thriving spirit of community and oneness shall be a leading spiritual light throughout Colorado Springs and the world. What do you think? You think that's good? Raise your hand if you think that's a good good vision. 
fair? I think it's fair. Let me tell you why I think it's fair. Because a vision statement is where we're going. So I want you to listen to this again. Unity in the Rockies, grounded in meditation, prayer, and healing. Are we grounded in meditation and prayer and healing? Yes. Celebrating the Christ spirit within all people. Do we? Yes. Celebrating the Christ spirit. Maybe you don't call it the Christ spirit. Christ consciousness, enlightenment, the God self-expressing. I think, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. And with the thriving spirit of community and oneness. Do you think we have that? Yeah. A thriving spirit. I think we have a very thriving spirit of community and oneness. Shall be a leading spiritual light throughout Colorado Springs and the world. Do you think we're doing a pretty good job of being a leading spiritual light in Colorado Springs? Think, think we could do a little bit more? Maybe. But we're doing a lot. You know, we're serving a lot of organizations here. We're involved with all three universities here. We're doing a lot in Colorado Springs. We're pretty visible in Colorado Springs. Much more so than... than uh, other communities here. I, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. And I had to think about the world part. And then I remembered we just did a big collection, just mailed a whole bunch of stuff out to the Philippines. You know, we are, we are in process on this, right? So this is the thing about a vision statement. If you have one, it needs to be so big that you have something to strive for. And I don't think this is a big enough mission or a big enough vision statement. I think we're doing most of this, I think, and that's how it should work, guys. When you set up a vision, you should live to the point that you accomplish it, and it should be time for a new vision. I think it's time for us to expand our vision statement. I think it's time for us to really look at how big this could be, what we could really do. So... One of the things that, that I find really interesting in this consideration is uh, I was participating in this conversation with, on a discussion board for Unity Ministers. And one of the things that was asked was, are we cultivating spiritual consumers or are we cultivating spiritual activists? Hmm. Good question, huh? And at first I thought, I can't possibly walk in and tell them we're being spiritual consumers. That sounds terrible. But then all of us are consumers, aren't we? We are, I mean, we consume dish soap, we consume toothpaste. We, there are things that we consume. It's part of life. We are always going to be spiritual consumers at some point. There's going to be something that we need, something that we have to have. Times that we feel vulnerable, times that we feel... Uh, in need of inspiration, and we will come to our spiritual home to find that. But there's also an opportunity in the word spiritual activist, and I want to tell you that that's a really different word than social activism. Social activism is about adjust, about addressing marginalization and things like that, uh, justice issues, other things. I'm talking about if we were spiritual activists. What would that look like? What would we be doing? Because everything we can do to change the world is included in our five principles. 
the most important tools in our toolbox are there. First of all, if we want to believe that we can change the world, do you, that's a good question. How many of you think we can change the world, us in this building? How many of you are not sure? It's okay to be not sure. Otherwise, I have nothing to teach next year. (laughs) So maybe we can. Let's figure this out. Let's work on this. Maybe we can change the world. So our, our principles teach us that God is everywhere, all things, all present. That there is nothing but God. Would you agree with that? Okay. So we, we can all agree on that one. And because we agree on that, because, because we understand that there is nothing but God, we know that the fabric of God, the energy of God, the essence of God, the presence and substance of God is what we create in, isn't it? It's the field we are. It's what everything is. And we access that field using tools, prayer and meditation, healing, all of those tools. And in order to access those tools, we first think, don't we? We use our minds. We discipline our minds so that we can think in a positive way so that we can think clearly and create what we really want rather than what we're afraid of. A lot of our work here is disciplining our thoughts, really taking a positive look. I'm always surprised at our prayer tree when we put these prayers on our Christmas tree every year and look at the sheer number of prayers. I'm always surprised when I look at this tree at how much is being prayed for Because overall, you guys come in here on Sunday with a smile on your face. You're happy. And I read every one of these. I pray with, with you on every one of these prayers before they go on to silent unity. So I know what big things are going on here. And I also know you're using the tools. You're thinking in the right way. You have created a way of being positive and moving forward and using your mind in a productive way. So we think, and that begins our creative process. But there's this last principle. The last principle that basically teaches us thinking isn't enough. We have to do something. We have to do something. So I think for the last several years, we've done really well up until there. And I don't know what the next step is in the doing. And in fact, as I was listening to this conversation and reading through what the various ministers were saying about the greater vision of the the unity movement, I kept, I started out thinking, well, what could we possibly do? And every time someone mentioned something, I could say, we're doing that already. At Unity in the Rockies, we're doing that already. At Unity in the Rockies, we're using our building in a collaborative way. We have people from all over the, the community Using this building, we use this building for Kirtan. We use this building for Native American drumming. We use this building for neighborhood association meetings. If people want to bring their activity here, we do our best to accommodate them. We are collaborative with people of many different spiritual walks and practices. And we still hold clear to the unity practice itself, to the unity principles and the unity information, don't we? So we're doing that. We're giving to Westside Cares. We're collecting blankets and 
and hygiene items and coats and clothing and food. We're taking care of those who don't have. We take a stand for what we believe. Last year, we stood with the Jewish synagogue when they were vandalized. We stand united with people of different faiths when something is wrong. This community does a lot, doesn't it? So if we were going to take on a bigger picture, really look at who we could become, what would we do? And it began to occur to me how very simple this is. How very, very simple the concept is that we would intend to change the world. That we would move from intending to come here to get spiritually fed, intending to get up on Sunday morning and come to church because that's what you do on Sunday morning, to heal our wounds and take care of ourselves, that we would begin to intend to change the world. That what would really switch for us is not so much an action, but a way of living. That we would be ceaseless in our praying. That we would continue each day, every morning, every midday, every night, to be aware that when we live these principles, people see us living them. And they observe our prosperity and they observe our positive attitude and they observe the fullness and happiness of our lives. And because of that, we deliver hope. Hope that there is something available. And whether they ever walk through these doors or not, each of us becomes a beacon for a new way of being because we're enacting and living into an evolutionary global consciousness. We are becoming different because we intend for the world to be different. And everything that we do now becomes not just because that's what my church is doing, but it becomes because this is what the world is doing. Because the world is beginning to care about people who don't have food. Because the world is beginning to care about people who can't pay their medical bills. Because the world is beginning to care about violence and war. Because we're blurring the lines that have separated countries and communities and individuals. And we're starting to understand our oneness. That as one, as the holy presence of God... When we intend, when an idea is born in the consciousness of the divine mind, everything changes. And that's what we're going to do in 2014. Shall we change the world? Would you like to help me? Really? I'm not convinced. <laughs> Should we change the world in 2014? Yes. Oh, that's a little better. I'm feeling a little better. I'm still thinking you could do a little better, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay if you're a little skeptical because, like I said, I wouldn't have anything to teach if you weren't. So in 2014, we're going to move into discipleship, discipleship to our own divine center, to really, really being in service to the oneness 
that we are to the presence of God, to the ever-present, all-present, all-being power that is God. We're going to reclaim the word discipleship and dust it off. And we're going to understand that discipleship and discipline come from the same root. That when we take on discipleship, we discipline ourselves. We discipline ourselves to live into our own mastery. That we are not looking for a master to teach us. We are looking to master those skills in ourselves that let us walk as our most powerful, most holy, most sacred, God-informed self so that the world can be different. I hope you'll join me. I have a few quotes for you to take with you as you move through your day. Harriet Tubman said, Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the power to reach for the stars and change the world. Margaret Mead said, No doubt, never doubt, that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Joel Barker said, Vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action changes the world. Woodrow Wilson said, You are here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world. Mahatma Gandhi said, Man becomes great exactly in the degree in which he works for the welfare of his fellow man. And this is a short poem by Rochelle Goodrich entitled Smile Anyway. One smile has the power to calm fears, soften stone walls, warm a heart, invite a friend, mimic a loving hug, beautify the bearer, lighten heavy loads, promote good deeds, Brighten a gloomy day, comfort a grieving spirit, offer hope to the forlorn, send a message of caring, lift the downtrodden soul, patch up invisible wounds, weaken the hold of misery, act as medicine for suffering, attract the companionship of angels, and fulfill the human need for recognition. Who knew changing the world could prove so simple? <laughs> 